Hello everyone, we're continuing Psalms, we're getting towards the end, we're at Psalm 136, 26 verses. The structure of this psalm seems to indicate that it was used in worship, uh, where the leader, or some of the worshippers, the lead worshipper, would say one part, and then worshippers would reply with the other part. This is a celebration of God's faithful love to his people, and this is the first, the last, sorry, Hallel psalm. Verses 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Just from this short bit, we get incredible insight into God. He is good, and he is over all things. He's greater than all gods and greater than all earthly leaders or lords. Why is this important? It's easy to note the ending is repeated in every line. God's loving kindness, chesed in Hebrew, or faithful love is forever. God is worthy to be praised for his eternal faithful love. I hope you easily see many cases where God shows his faithful love in your life. Verses 4 through 9. To him who alone does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Our God has done great wonders through his creation. He made the heavens by spreading them out over us, and he set the sun and the moon to shine at their respective times, sun during the day and the moon at night. He is the God of great wisdom and great skill. Verses 10 to 15. To him who smote the Egyptians in their, force, in their firstborn, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and brought Israel out of their midst, for his loving kindness is everlasting, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his loving kindness is everlasting, to him who divided the Red Sea asunder, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his loving kindness is everlasting. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his loving kindness is everlasting. God was the one who took Israel out of Egypt with the ten plagues and with the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. He took Israel out and injured Egypt and her armies by killing many of them in the sea. God, in his power, his strong hand, caused this to happen. Verses 16 to 22. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who smote great kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And slew mighty kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And Og, king of Bashan, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And gave their land as a heritage, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Even a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his loving kindness is everlasting. God led Israel through the wilderness and gave them the land of the enemies. 
that rose against them in battle. These are the Amorites and Bashan, um, and there are several others. He gave them this land for their children and their children's children to thrive in. This is the promise that God had made to Israel. Verses 23 to 26. Who remembered us in our low state, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And he has rescued us from our adversaries, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who gives food to all flesh, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his loving kindness is everlasting. He remembered Israel in their captivity and in their low state of slavery. He has rescued Israel many times from captors, and this shows his immense love for his people. He also grants the food we have so that all people can eat from his abundance. He allows plants and animals to grow for our sustenance. So we are all called to praise and thank God for his immense loyal love toward us. Psalm 37 Nine verses. No title for this psalm. I'm sorry, 137. <laughs> I got a funny look over there. <laughs> this anonymous psalmist mourns the journey of those who were in a strange land and could not sing their songs of worship in Jerusalem. The psalmist loves Jerusalem and hates those who were opposed to it, like Edom and Babylon. This was possibly written towards the end of Israel's Babylonian captivity. Verse 1 of Psalm 137. <laughs> By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Some worshippers sat together and cried. They were in a foreign land and no longer able to worship God in his temple. Jerusalem had been destroyed, and it was destroyed by Babylon, and they were exiles from their homeland. Verses 2 through 4. Upon the willows, in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded us uh, songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Israel's grief was great. They hung their instruments on trees, which was symbolic of the fact that the musicians were no longer playing. Their oppressors taunted the Israelites and called them to sing songs that were native to their lands. They wanted songs from Jerusalem, which they had destroyed. This was a way to make fun of the captives, forcing them to sing of their destroyed city. Verses 5 and 6. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. The psalmist vowed to keep Jerusalem carved into his memory. He preferred to forget his skills or become mute than to forget Jerusalem. Jerusalem was his highest joy because this is where God was. Is God your greatest joy? Do you desire him more than even your greatest desires? It does he come first in your priority list? Verses 7 to 9. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. 
The Edomites wanted Jerusalem brought down to its very foundations, and the Babylonians had crushed Jerusalem. The psalmist asked God to remember and to bring vengeance on these nations and to bless the ones who would crush Babylon. This is one of the strongest petitions for vengeance found in the Bible. The psalmist asked God to do to Babylon what they had done to Israel. This was no small thing. The Babylonians were famous for their cruelties in war. Why is this important? How does it even apply to us today? Are we not to love our enemies? According to the Old and New Testament, we are to love those that hurt us, persecute us, and hate us because we believe the truth. Yet, the reality is that there is evil in the world. So, what do we do with this psalm? The reality is that there is evil in this world, and God gave us an innate sense of justice. As we follow God, we learn to hate sin and the evil and pain it produces. We want all the wrongs to be made right. The psalmist is voicing this desire, but at the same time, he is giving it to the Lord. He's placing his hatred in the hands of God, knowing that it will be taken seriously by the righteous, holy God, and he will bring justice in his way, in his time. Psalm 138. This is a psalm of David. David vows to praise the Lord for answering prayer and expects God's glory to expand. And we've got eight verses. Let's do one through three. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. David vowed to praise God with all his heart and before anything else in his presence. Gods could refer to idols or perhaps other human leaders, like judges or kings, though the former seems like a stronger possibility. He would bow down before God towards his temple because of his loyal love and his truth. God had answered a prayer of David's, we don't know which one, and this caused him to have boldness in his worship. Verse 4 and 5. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord when they have heard the words of your mouth, and they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. David prayed that all the other kings on the earth would hear the words of the Lord and also praise him. He prayed that they would join him in a song to the Lord because God's glory is truly great. He alone is worthy to be praised. Verses 6 through 8. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty is he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Even though the Lord is magnified and over all things, he still takes note of the humble. He keeps the proud far from himself. Even when David was surrounded by trouble and enemies, he knew God was still with him and could deliver him from any situation. God would accomplish whatever he willed. Now this is important. God's plan for our lives do not derail in light of a difficult situation. In fact, he often calls us to grow through hard times by depending on him and sometimes he delivers us so that we can praise him. God uses all circumstances for his glory. 
in all circumstances, we can point our lives to God. Psalm 134, 24 verses for the choir director, a psalm of David. This psalm has three of God's attributes as its subject, God's omniscience, which is his all-knowingness, his omnipresence, which is his all-presentness, uh, and his omnipotence, which is just saying that he's all-powerful. David asks God to examine him and affirm his innocence, uh, since God has all these attributes, God can do these things. Based on these great attributes, David affirms his loyalty to God. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows all. He knows every human heart, personally and exhaustively. There is nothing God doesn't know about you and me. He knows you from your deepest, darkest secrets to your heaviest longings, your happiest moments. He knows it all. Verses 2 and four, through 4. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all. He knows our every move. He knows our every thought. He knows the paths that we take in our lives, and he knows the reasons why we take them. He knows us so well, even our minor details are not a mystery to him. He knows it all. He knows our words even before we speak them. He has a perfect knowledge of all that is within his universe. Verse 6 and 7. You have enclosed me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. David fell surrounded by God and his immense knowledge. That was felt. <laughs> David felt surrounded by God and his immense knowledge. He felt covered from head to toe, from front to back, from all directions. Knowing that God knew him so well was far too wonderful. He was known and loved by the greatest being in the universe. This knowledge completely baffles us. We can't understand it, but we can believe in it. Verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. God is omnipresent. Again, that means completely present in all places at all times. There's no place any of us can ever hide from God. God gives hypothetical examples of extremes where he would try to escape to, but would fail in the attempt. No matter where we go, heaven, death, earth, how fast we go on the wings of the dawn or the speed of light uh, or of dawn, uh, the speed that anyone can think of, the sound, whatever you want to call it, or how far we go to the remotest parts of the seas. We cannot escape God's presence. Everything that's within our scope, God is there. Even in those distant places, God's hand can comfort and lead us. Verses 11 and 12. 
If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Not even the cover of night is a hindrance to God. God is light, and darkness flees from him. There is no place he cannot be, nowhere his eyes do not see. Verses 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. What a beautiful picture of being stitched together in the womb. The Lord is the one that creates babies in the woman's womb. Yes, we have a part in it, but... It is God's handiwork. We are fearfully and wonderfully made with incredible detail and workmanship. Every person is handmade by God. Verses 15 and 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained to me when as of yet, there was not one of them. While David was being created in the womb, the depths of the earth, he was not hidden from God. God knows every person, even from the womb. God knows all of our days, even before we were born. God knows our lives, even down to the minute details. All of them are mapped out in his plan. This God is intimately involved with his creation. Verses 17 through 18. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God's thoughts for his people are innumerable and precious. The fact that God thinks about his people, that in and of itself is an incredible thing. But that these thoughts are so many is something that gives us comfort. It gives comfort to David and, and should give comfort to us and to, to everyone that is a believer. God loves us and thinks of us, even though we are merely creatures. Verses 19 to 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. The psalmist asks for justice and the slaying of the wicked. These were murderers who enjoyed shedding blood. They spoke against God and they took his name in vain. These were clearly against God. And for that, David hated these men in their sin. Hate here does not mean the emotion. Instead, it more means to disassociate from and to reject. There are only two types of people in the world. Those that follow God, made righteous because of Jesus' sacrifice, and those that go against God, the wicked who will one day be judged justly. We need to pick sides. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. 
He ends the psalm by asking God to search his heart, to test him. David desired to be in the right way, in the way that glorified God. He did not want any sin to separate him from God. So if there is, if there were any hurtful sins, this would remove his life from the relationship that he had with God, because God can't be with sin. Uh, and so he wanted to be in the path that honored God. Uh, studying the attributes of God has served many as a great source of comfort, and it should be the same with us. And, and part of that is acknowledging the sin that we have and the greatness that God is. Now, why is this important for us? Are you feeling hopeless? Remember, He is strong enough to help. Are you lonely? God alone knows you completely, in and out. There are no hidden parts with Him, and He still loves you. Are you anxious? Are you fearful? God is in control of all situations. Whatever you're struggling with, you can depend on God. You can look to Him. He is the only one that will satisfy completely and eternally. Psalm 140, 13 verses. For the choir director, a psalm of David. David, this psalm's author, calls on God to protect him against the wicked. He calls for God to be just while the wicked tried to kill him. This is considered a psalm of lament. Verses 1-5 through five. Rescue me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who devise evil things in their hearts. They continually stir up wars. They sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of a viper is under their lips. Selah. Keep me. O Lord, from the hands of the wicked, preserve me from the violent men who have purposed to trip up my feet. The proud have hidden a trap for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set snares for me. Selah. The psalmist called on God for deliverance from evil, violent men. These men were continually in evil things and desired war. Their speech was venomous like a serpent. They desired only to harm. The psalmist asks for salvation from the violent men who wanted to trap him. Verses 6 through 8. I said to the Lord, You are my God. Give ear, O Lord, to the voice of my supplications. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not promote his evil device, that they, be, that they not be exalted. Selah. The psalmist's dependence was on God, but he also focused on his petition not to fall into the hands of the wicked. He knew God was strong enough to protect and save him, but he also knew God was sovereign over all things. So he prayed that God would not allow the wicked's desires and plans to prosper. Now, God may allow injustices now, but these acts will not be allowed indefinitely. God will fairly judge all the wicked done in the world for all of time. Justice will be meted out, and there will be peace. It will just be in God's time, not ours. Verses 9-11 through 11. As for the head of those who surround me, may the mischief of their lips cover them. May burning coals fall upon them. May they be cast into the fire, into deep pits from which they cannot rise. May a slander not be established in the earth. May evil hunt the violent man speedily. He voices harsh curses against the wicked, punishments to match their evil acts. 
He desired God to send burning coals on their heads. He wished disaster on those against God. He wanted the evil they designed for others to fall on themselves. He wanted the liar to never be believed and the murderous man to be hunted down by evil. Verses 12 and 13. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous will give thanks to your name. The upright will dwell in your presence. David was convinced that God would keep the cause of the poor and needy. He would bring justice to them in his time. The righteous would give thanks to his name. They would praise his greatness and dwell in his presence. What an immense honor to one day be forever in the presence of God. Are you ready for that day? It, it can come any second. 